just to take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. Is everybody at Jeremiah chapter 4? All right. Uh, how many of you remember a movie that came out in 2010 called The Blind Side? It was uh, a movie in which Sandra Bullock actually won the best actor, uh, best actress at the Academy Awards. And she played the role of Luann, or excuse me, Leanne Tuohy, who was a Christian woman who um, uh, was the one influential in leading her family to actually ending up adopting a homeless black teenage boy by the name of Michael Orr. Uh, any football fans here? You might recognize that uh, Michael Orr uh was uh, a first-round draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, so when they found him, he was a high school kid, and he hadn't even played in any sports really yet. And uh, then he ended up becoming um, quite a famous person. And, of course, this movie was depicting him. And the story, according to Mr. Tui, uh, his real name is Sean, is that their family really took a very radical transformation when, uh, with Michael and all because of two simple words that Leanne said. Uh, they spotted Michael walking on a cold November morning. Uh, he was in shorts and a T-shirt. And Leanne saw him, and as they were driving down the road, she uttered two words that changed their world. She told her husband, Sean, turn around. So they turned their vehicle around, put Michael in the warm car, and eventually adopted him. All because of two words, turn around. There's a message in the Bible for every human being. And if you wanted to sum it up in two words, it would be, turn around. Right? Because all humanity is walking about mostly aimless, homeless, essentially destitute of hope. And God says, turn around. This was the cry of the prophets from Enoch to Jesus, from men and women of God throughout the ages, and not only professional prophets and preachers, but every believer in Jesus who has believed in these words, if we are faithful, we should speak these words to ourselves and to others. One writer put it this way, these two words can change anyone's life. When we turn around, we change directions and begin an exciting new journey. Some may need to make an about face concerning their disbelief in Christ. Or it could be that a Christian needs to turn around and reconcile with people around them that perhaps they have wronged. Maybe it would be you need to turn around in your attitude toward prayer and how you approach God. But whatever your situation is, it's a great story of wonderful change that could just be two words away for each and every one of us. Just turn around. And as we get into chapter 4, there's something I need to point out that there were actually two audiences, two separate groups that, that Jeremiah addressed. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, God spoke to Israel, which was the nation to the north. 
I don't know if you could see it, but that's the blue part up there. And the, the kingdom of Israel uh, was formed as the kingdom, the whole kingdom of Israel was divided in two after Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne. It was a judgment of God. And so what God was doing is he said that he would tear the kingdom apart and thus he would weaken it. It would be a sign to the people that you're not going to have the strength that you used to have. And so the kingdom to the north had ten tribes in it and the kingdom to the south, the kingdom of Judah, had two tribes in it, the, king, the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And so it was split apart. And the northern kingdom had kept the name of Israel. The southern kingdom took on the name Judah. And now they were a divided kingdom, and they were beginning to have lots of problems uh, even getting along together uh, as nations. And they began, instead of being unified against the rest of the world, now they were actually um, rivals. And so in verse 1, he says, If you will return, O Israel, then you should return to me. Now, the bulk of the prophecy of, of Jeremiah was spoken to Judah, the southern kingdom. But here in the first part, he's saying to Israel, the northern kingdom, if you will return, O Israel, then you should return to me. Now, why is that? Well, we find out that the northern kingdom had already been invaded by Assyria. You see this, this whole area here? You see the kind of the dark green? was the Assyrian Empire. But then this is what they took in, in 671 B.C. This whole area now had become the kingdom of Assyria. They had taken Israel as a part of that. But you'll notice that Judah stands out, right? Do you see it right here? Because Judah still was sovereign and they had not been invaded. So you can see they're surrounded by the kingdom of Assyria. The, the Assyrian Empire was spreading, and you can you could see that the Israelites were now no longer a sovereign nation. And the reason why is because they had broken the commandments of God. Especially the first and second commandment, which is, you shall have no other gods besides me. And if you read the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you'll find that the kings and the people began to worship the false gods. And the prophets that were sent to them kept warning them, you've got to stop this or judgment's going to come. But they didn't stop it. In fact, they broke the second commandment and they made graven images. And God told them to turn around over and over and over again. And not only was it turn around, but he said, there's something specific you need to turn to. You should turn and return to me. God is a very personal God. Many people try to change their behaviors. For example, addicts might go through 12 steps or recovery programs, and some succeed at sobriety. But all of it's for naught if the higher power is not God. If it's not the person of Christ, if you return but you don't return to a person, the sobriety is it's better than it was, but it's still all for naught in the end. God's call to turn around is, is uh, 
for us to turn to him. Repentance is to turn to our creator. True repentance has both substance in the act and a turning to God and is not just I'm sorry, but rather a turning back to relationship with God. And the prophet said, put away your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. What are the things that grip your heart and sometimes become more important to you than your relationship with God? Those are idols. And in verse 2, he said, and you will swear as the Lord lives again to swear allegiance without appropriate change of conduct is folly. Oh, as the Lord lives. How many times do you hear people going around saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But their hearts are really far from God. In fact, the direction is expressed in the words, in truth and in justice and in righteousness. We need to remember the words of Jesus to the woman at the well. In their discussion, she wants to know the right place of worship. You know that it started out with, give me a drink and... She was questioning, you know, who he was, what he would be speaking to her about. But then as they got into the discussion and he revealed to her that he knew her better than she knew herself, she said, well, uh, what church should we go to? (laughs) And that kind of a common question you get if you're having a spiritual discussion. Well, what's the right church? What's the right place of worship? But what was Jesus' response? He said, God is seeking people who will what? Who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in lip service. Not in a bunch of praise the Lord's and hallelujahs. But who worship him in spirit and in truth. We need to keep in mind that the woman was a descendant of the Israelites. It's true she might have had a mixed heritage. She might have had some of the Assyrian blood in her. Or people from who knows what nation as the Assyrians had taken over. But part of the strategy of Assyria was to get the people mingled with other nations and dilute them so that they were just basically without a history. Kind of reminds me of our country. That's why we do things like the Veterans Day Remembrance. We need to remember freedoms that were fought for, blood that was shed. Because we have a history. We need to know that history. But this woman, regardless of what her ancestry was, she had Israelite blood in her veins. And people can say, uh, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. Well, I believe, but still be far from God. Because the substance is in truth, in justice, and in righteousness. And the words justice and righteousness in the Old Testament have to do with how you treat people. Do you treat people justly? Are you fair to them? Jesus summed it up in the golden rule. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? And what the world needs in a witness today from Christians is not a bunch of verbiage, but they need a witness of love and a witness of truth, a witness of justice and righteousness. And it's not simply do's and don'ts. It's not about... Those kind of external behaviors. Well, you know, as long as you um, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do kind of thing. You know how it used to be. And 
You know, that was the sign of a Christian is, is because you were doing certain things or not doing certain things. That's not at all the righteousness that is being spoken about, about in the Scripture. Not at all. It's a witness of love. It's not moralism, which is simply outward behavior without inward purity. People can be very religious on the outside. In fact, that's probably the biggest problem in this valley is the spirit of religion that dominates not just one group, but because of that group and others that just kind of assimilate into a spirit of religion where we look good on the outside, but really not all that concerned on the inside with truth and righteousness and justice. Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, "Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." What good works is he talking about? It's not the do's and don'ts, it's justice and righteousness and truth. And so the prophet he's spoken to Israel to the north and he said, "You need to turn around, need to to, to turn to me." But then the Lord says to the men of Judah, And I say men, the people of Judah. He says, break up your fallow ground and do not soar so among thorns. You know, when I was growing up, um, you might not believe this, but I was a good kid for the most part. Uh, Although my teachers really knew better. But I did observe my older brother, and I love my brother, but he had troubles. And uh, so I was careful to avoid some of the things that he did because I saw what happened to him as a result. And it was not out of righteousness. It was out of self-preservation. Now, Judah, on the other hand, is now committing the same sins as their, their brothers to the north. And God calls out to them in verses 3 and 4, and he says, Turn around. Thus says the Lord, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. You know, I, I kind of wonder, I'll get to this a little bit later, but why, was, why, did, why did Jeremiah speak to the north at all? Well, keep that in mind, because now he's focusing in on Judah, and they're committing the same sins. There are two metaphors here. The first is an agricultural one, break up the fallow ground. Some of you are gardeners, some of you are farmers. Some of you are used to be soil scientists or still are, but retired. But the fallow ground is not suitable for planting because the seed can't penetrate the hard ground, right? It'll get sown on it and just lays there. It doesn't have a chance to germinate, let alone produce a profitable crop. And so there needs to be care to prepare that hard crust and plow it up. And you've got to disturb the ground and you have to crush the clods, and you've got to uh, get it prepared so that the seed can be placed at a depth that's suitable 
for moisture to penetrate and for the seed to germinate and grow. Did I get that right? It's amazing. Break up the fallow ground of your heart. You see, the people in Judah had, in God's opinion, gotten hard in their heart. And when he spoke to them, it was like seed that was not able to penetrate. Let me read to you from Peter's letter of chapter 1. Some of it is up there for you. But he says this, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay on the earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having said that, he says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And we've got to break up the fallow ground so that that word has a chance to get in. And how do we do that? We've got to get over our pride. We have to get over our resistance to the authority of God. This is what the men and, and people of Judah were doing. They were resisting God with all their hallelujahs and praise the Lord's. Because their hearts were far from him. And they were becoming just like their counterparts to the north. And so he says, circumcise your heart. How are we to conduct ourselves if we've been redeemed by such a precious gift of God? And again, it's not a message that we ought to be good boys and girls so that we can receive a reward at the end of the day. This is about turning around from that which took us down the road of rebellion and alienated us from God in the first place. How did you get into sin? And you were, you were young. But you rebelled against the truth. You may not even have known about God, but there was even in you the law written in your heart, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. These things were written in our hearts. It, it's this selfishness that moved us in this direction and alienated us from God. You, I want you to understand that God is not simply trying to save you from hell. He's not just trying to get you out of hell. He's saving us from ourselves. 
Our hearts have been inspired by hell, and we oftentimes don't realize that. God does not want us to conform. He wants transformation. And so the second image is the circumcision of the heart. The men of Judah had already experienced the covenant rite of circumcision. It was a sign to them that they were supposed to be cut off from the rest of the world and its values and its practices. But the ritual was not accomplishing its purpose. The people of Judah assumed safety and security in a ritual sign rather than in a personal faith in God. Don't be fooled into believing that any religious experience or past ritual can deliver you from the power of sin. We must walk by faith and love God from our hearts. To circumcise the heart means that the very core of our motives and the very intentions of our heart and actions are rooted in love for our Creator. When we love Him, we will gladly do whatever He tells us to do. And I mean gladly. When we trust everything He says and delight in Him, it results in satisfaction with Him. So if you have discontentment in your life and heart right now, you've got a problem with God. And the problem is your heart. If you're not content and if you're not thankful, if people or things or circumstances or things that you think about and they're robbing you of your sense of joy and completeness, it's because you've got a problem with your heart. I want you to notice that there are some references in the New Testament about this. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? In other words, Paul's saying, listen, how did you even come into a relationship with God? Because you were a good person? What's the answer? No. He didn't come for good people. He came for sinners. Right? Okay, so we weren't good people. But having begun by the Spirit, in other words, when we received Jesus by faith, He put His Spirit within us. But the Galatians were wanting to go back into, well, let's be good boys and girls. And maybe God will love us more. Following God is not a matter of willpower or of strength of human mind. The flesh will be religious if it's able to gain something for itself. In fact, the thing about you that's the most religious part of you is your unredeemed self. That's hard to take sometimes. And people who have not been born again don't understand. Well, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to, trying to live by the commandments or I'm trying to live up to the golden rule or I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, and that's the problem. Because the issue is not trying, the issue is faith. The issue is in the gift of God through His Holy Spirit. When you surrender to Him, surrender to His will. But until you do, you'll always battle. You'll always try, and you'll try harder, and you'll be frustrated. It isn't until you believe that He actually loves you, and can save you, and change you, and that you trust Him to do that, that you'll have any peace in your life. Another verse 
I've got quite a few verses here. Focus on, on number 29 there, but listen to these words. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Anybody here been perfect in the law? I don't see anybody, so circumcision doesn't help. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the, uh, having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, not of the spirit, or by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. I want you to notice, he says that he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The word Jew comes from the root word Judah, to praise God. Okay? And... He's saying if you have the circumcision of the heart, if you by the Spirit are being changed by the Spirit of God, then your praise, your Yah, Judah, is not from men, but from who? God. In other words, God is pleased when we trust Him. But when we try to impress him, have you ever been around somebody that really works hard to impress you? And I mean, they just, you know, they, they, they get ingratiating and they, they're just doing everything they can to impress you. I don't know about you, but that really bothers me. <laughs> and I'm not impressed. And neither is God when we're just trying, hey, God, look what I'm doing for you. But when we're surrendered and we say, I'm trusting you, Lord, I trust you. Here's my heart. It needs changed. It needs renovation. But I'm giving it to you, and I'm trusting you to do this because you promised you would. And you keep your promises, and I, I have no hope apart from that. Try and try and try. I can't do it, but, Lord, I'm going to just surrender it trust you. I believe that Jesus came in the flesh, died on the cross for my sin, that he was buried and then rose again from the dead and is at the right hand of God. I believe that he rose again because God accepted his sacrifice. And so if he accepted him, you will accept me. Not because of I'm good. But this is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Another verse in Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, in Jesus, you have the whole God. You've got the whole God. And in him you have been made complete. Another word is in him you have been made perfect. 
And he is the head over all rule and authority. So no matter, there's nobody bigger than him. Nobody has more authority than him. And in him you are complete. Somebody else comes along and says, oh, there's a problem with you. You go, well, take it up with the one who has all authority. Because in him I'm complete. And in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, we put off the flesh, which is our natural inclinations, our natural strength, our propensity for self-preservation, our propensity for self-exaltation. Paul says, there is in me, that is in my flesh, no good thing. A lot of times we have trouble with our lives and we go, man, the devil is on me. And the devil is in the corner crying because he's going, I wish it was me, but it's just their flesh. I don't get any credit for the garbage they're doing. They're doing it all to themselves. Because they love themselves and their pleasure. And they're animated by fear. And they haven't yielded themselves to God. So the prophet has said, Israel, you need to turn around. And now he says, Judah, you need to turn around. And then I would submit that, Jeremiah, you need to turn around. Notice in verses 9 and 10, he says, It'll come about in that day, declares the Lord, that the heart of the king and the heart of the princes will fail, and the priests will be appalled and the prophets will be astounded. I think Jeremiah's kind of thrown on this because he says in verse 10, Ah, Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, You will have peace whereas the sword touches the throat. <laughs> I have to tell you, when I, when I first read that, I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and I'm not reading the entire text. I want you to do so when you have a chance at Jeremiah chapter 4. But in verse 10, he hears those words from God about certain doom and destruction that will come to the city. The whole land is going to be laid waste. And what does Jeremiah say? Oh, Lord God, I think you've deceived the people. You've utterly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you will have peace, whereas the sword touches the heart. In other words, everybody thinks everything's going to be okay. And yet the throat has the sword right there, ready to sever the jugular and we're, we're done. I think there are a couple of meanings interpretations of what Jeremiah is saying. Let me, let me try to bring them forth. The first one is that there were false prophets that had been saying that there was no way God would allow anything bad to happen to Jerusalem or to Zion. Okay? These, these false prophets, when Jeremiah and Isaiah and other ones got up and said, this is going to happen, false prophets got up and said, that's crazy. This is where God lives. Look at the temple. This is where God lives. You see? So he's not going to let his own house be disturbed. 
right? You guys following me? And so they were preaching peace and safety. And so Jeremiah might have been saying to God that he allowed these false prophets in order to deceive them into complacency as their judgment was coming. Well, that's really not a bad interpretation. If you read 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1, you'll find out that God allows a deluding influence to come upon people when they don't love the truth. It's part of judgment. But there might be something else. It might be that God's message to Israel that he said in verses 1 and 2 was to send a message to people that they could get their things in order and they would be safe. That somehow it would be kind of like a carrot and stick thing. You know, I threw the little thing out to Israel so that you guys would go, oh man, we better turn around before what happened to them happens to us. And yet it's not going to happen. The, 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 the destruction has already been set. The wheels are in motion. It's coming. But are you deceiving Israel? Or are you saving, deceiving the people, God? Because you're, you're giving them this false hope that if they turn around, they'll, they'll be okay. Or perhaps it's this. Perhaps the idea was that Jeremiah himself was appalled by the message that he had to deliver. That he himself may have been so offended by the prospect of such devastation that he was raising a complaint or even an objection to God. You can't let this happen. Do you remember there was a prophet by the name of Habakkuk? And we did a study in Habakkuk a few years ago, I think. And the Habakkuk, if you recall, he starts out his prophecy saying, God, why are, you letting, why are you letting our people get away with such sin and wickedness? And uh, they, Something's got to happen to stop all this. Well, what is it that most of us do? God, uh, will you, will you uh, make me a better person? Make me love you more. Because the reason why I'm this way is because it's your fault. Because you haven't done that. Habakkuk was saying, God, you can't let this go on. And God says, I'm not going to let it go on. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm bringing the Babylonians and they're going to wipe you guys out. And Habakkuk goes, no, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They're even worse than us. You don't have any right to use somebody that's in more sin than us to judge us. And God says, oh, you want to bet? Because when it's all over with, you're going to, you're going to hate idolatry so bad. And that's exactly what happened. And so maybe I, or Jeremiah is thinking to himself, Oh, God, really? Are you going to do this? Really? Are you going to let this happen? And so the conclusion today is that the New Testament, we find people struggling with God's ways. Remember, Peter could not accept Jesus' prediction that he was going to be handed over to sinners and crucified. He said, oh, Lord, that'll never happen to you. What did Jesus say to him? It was pretty, pretty severe, wasn't it? Get thee behind me, Satan. 
we need to turn around in our thinking. We need to see the situation as it is. It's like Leanne Tui saw a lost homeless young man of a different race, color, and social strata, and she said, turn around. This isn't right. She couldn't let it slide, and as the Holy Spirit of God moved on her heart to do His will, even though it was risky and costly, it brought her disdain from her own social group. Her own social group were saying, have you lost your mind? I mean, it's, it's, you know, just send a few dollars down into the ghetto, but don't let it get into your house. But she was called upon by the Holy Spirit to turn around. And so when we are called by the Spirit to turn around, whether it's to cease from an activity of sin or to turn from unbelief or to act specifically in truth, justice, and righteousness, we can't escape with lip service of praises and hallelujahs if our heart is not broken up and the seed of his word is not truthfully planted within us. It means dying to our own reasonings, dying to our own plans and comforts because he's doing more in us than sometimes what we want him to do. So we've got to be equally careful. Not to do as Peter. You remember when Peter finally was restored on the shores of Galilee? And Jesus said, here's my will for your life. Let's not be like him and say, well, what about them? Right? Let's just be faithful followers of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. May it penetrate our hearts. May we break up fallow ground. May there be areas of unbelief that we recognize, Lord, ourselves. And we might say, oh, God, here it is. I surrender. I want you to come into this area of my life. I want you to put that seed of truth there and and. I am not going to resist. I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey because you are Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's someone here today that has not yet received Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be a day that they would break up that unbelief in their own life and say, yes, I need Christ. Maybe someone's been trying so hard on their own and just never, never succeeding and wondering what's wrong and feeling like you have failed them. God, may today they turn to you in faith and just say, Lord, hear my heart. I just give it to you. Come into me. I need my sins forgiven, but I need a change. So I give you my heart. And I'll follow you and I'll testify of you and I'll praise you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. May you bless each one. Amen.